Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, episode 54, recorded Sunday, March 14th, 2021. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hey there, everyone, and thanks for listening to this latest episode of Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Cincerpino. Hope everyone is adjusting to the time change if you had one this weekend. Now, there's a lot of debate going on on whether changing the clocks every November and March is necessary. I feel like we should just pick a time and stick with it. I've never really fully understood the arguments and benefits of changing the clocks by an hour twice a year. But old habits die hard, I guess. Well, we're coming off a very busy couple of weeks. Let's see, we've started our dive master class and had two sessions on that. We've held our annual dry suit seminar. We conducted a buoyancy and propulsion course and did not one, but two ice diver classes for two different public safety teams. And we got those in just before the ice all melted. We're only halfway through, the, through March now, and we still have a lot on our plate for the rest of the month. The weather is starting to get nice, and we're not letting COVID-19 slow us down. We're staying safe, but we're, being, we're getting out there and diving. On today's show, I'm going to go back in history a bit and start a two-part series on the Project Sea Lab summary report from 1965. But first up will be wet notes. Scuba Shack's radio's news and information update. So here we go with episode 54. This is Wet Notes on Scuba Shack Radio for Sunday, March 14th, 2021. Starting off today... I want to give everyone an update on Dive Training Magazine. When the pandemic hit last year, it caused the magazine to suspend publication. And there was a disclaimer out on their website about the magazine being on hiatus. Well, I really like this magazine, so I went out and checked their website, and I did not see this disclaimer anymore. So I reached out to the editor, Catherine Castle Garcia, to check on the status. Catherine got back to me, and she indicated that they are still in a holding pattern and are aiming to start publication again in the third or fourth quarter of this year. In the interim, Catherine and her husband are working on growing their business, Deeply Designs, and they are working on a feature-length wildlife film. Let's hope Dive Training Magazine hits the streets again this year. I really enjoy that publication. Now, for those of us who love going to and diving in the Caymans, there's hope there. It sounds like they're making good progress down in the Caymans on vaccinating the population. And according to the Premier, Alden McLaughlin, if the COVID-19 vac- vaccination rates keep up at this pace, 
they are thinking that they'll be able to open the borders again in either late April or early May. And with the penetration of the vaccine, there won't be any need to quarantine when you're entering the islands. Now, this is certainly something to look forward to. You don't have to twist my arm to head down to Sunset House or Little Cayman Beach Resort. In the fight against plastic pollution, back in February, the Ocean Cleanup, which is a nonprofit that was established in 2013 with the mission of developing technologies that will rid the world's ocean of plastics, signed a Memorandum of Understanding with Thailand. And that Memorandum of Understanding was to deploy interceptors in Thailand's rivers. Now, rivers provide the highways for plastics to enter the ocean, and intercepting plastics in the river before it gets to the ocean is just common sense, but a complex solution. The Ocean Cleanup Interceptor Program is pretty cool, and they want to expand deployments to the thousand most polluting rivers around the world. Well, that's certainly some good news coming out of Thailand and hopefully the rest of the world. You can check them out on theoceancleanup.com. Last week on NOAA's Ocean Podcast, the show featured another NOAA program, Ocean Today. And on this episode, Kurt Mann discussed what Ocean Today is all about. Essentially, it is a series of short videos that take complex science and present them in understandable one to three minute videos. They cover deep sea exploration, climate change, marine life, and more. These videos are thoroughly vetted with NOAA scientists to ensure that they get the science right. The videos are also being placed in kiosks at the Smithsonian, as well as 34 other locations. I checked out their five-part series on shipwrecks. Pretty cool. Check out oceantoday.noaa.gov for more. Well, the first quarter edition of Alert Diver magazine from Divers Alert Network arrived last week, and it's an incredible 100 pages of information. The feature this quarter includes shore diving in Monterey Bay, an article on diving in La Paz, Mexico, and an article on the power of American marine sanctuaries. In addition to the feature articles, you'll find all the standard stuff. Most of that is in short, concise articles. The research, education, and medicine section is really fantastic. I love going through that. One of the short articles also discussed turning tank valves on all the way versus a quarter turn back. There's so much more to absorb in this publication. Also, I noted in the, in the letters to the editor, one of our divers submitted a letter, uh, Sarah, to them about doing pre-dive safety checks. So Alert Diver Magazine it's a great benefit to your Dan membership. And finally, I came across an article a couple of days ago titled, This Netflix Original Will Make You Think Twice Before Ordering the Fish of the Day. And it was a short article about the new Netflix documentary called Seaspiracy, and that will premiere on March 24th this year. The film will present the urgency of protecting the world's oceans, primarily focused on the dire implications of commercial fishing. This documentary was directed by Ali Tabrizi and assistant director Lucy Tabrizi. 
you can go out to Netflix and search on Seaspiracy and watch the trailer. In the article, they state that 24,000 fisheries workers die each year while on the job. That's a lot. I I just didn't realize how dangerous the uh, fishing industry was. Now, one of the quotes from the Seaspiracy Instagram page says, This film will radically transform the way we think and act on ocean conservation forever. So mark your calendars and be sure to catch Seaspiracy on Netflix, available March 24th. Well, that's it for Wet Notes for March 14th, 2021, here on Scuba Shack Radio. Way back in the 1960s when I was growing up, most of us were intently focused on the space race. In 1964, the United States was making the transition from the Mercury program to the Gemini program, and there really wasn't a lot of manned spaceflight going on that year. But there was another amazing exploration going on in inner space, and that was Project Sea Lab 1. Well, I didn't know a great deal about Sea Lab until I started doing some research for the segment I did here on the show about Scott Carpenter. I did read Ben Hellsworth's book about Sea Lab, and that gave me a really good understanding of the magnitude of the entire Sea Lab project, both one, two, and three. And as I was doing more research, I came across a report from the Office of Naval Research. And it's the Project Sea Lab Summary Report. So today, I want to start a two-part series on this report. In part one, today, I'll take you through the report up until the Sea Lab 1 habitat is placed in position. And then in part two, a couple of weeks from now, we'll review the mission, some of the findings, and conclusions. Now, the Project Sea Lab Summary Report is subtitled, an experimental 11-day undersea saturation dive at 193 feet. And the report is dated June 14, 1965. For anyone looking for the report, you might want to search on ONR Report ACR 108. It's not that long. It's at 62 pages. Now, the copy I got had a stamp on the cover then indicated hard copies of the report would cost $3, while microfiche would be $0.75. And the copy was also stamped archived copy. The authors of this report are H.A. O'Neill from the Office of Naval Research, G.F. Bond, Captain United States Navy from the United States Naval Medical Research Laboratory, R.E. Lamphere, Lieutenant Commander, USN, Office of Naval Research, and T. Odom of the Mine Defense Laboratory. In the preface penned by Rear Admiral Layden, he says, Project Sea Lab 1 was the Navy's first step into inner space. He also states that this report is being published by the Navy so that all may share the information. 
It is interesting to note that the background section of the report, the authors do reference the work being done by Captain Jacques Cousteau and Mr. Edwin A. Link, and that was on their man-in-the-sea concept. They, they stated, Indeed, the Navy seems to be left at the post by the well-publicized efforts of Captain Cousteau and Mr. Link. So it sounds like there's a little bit of sour grapes there. The report goes on to describe a December 1963 conference with the Navy's Bureau of Ships, where they obtained support for a sea lab. Now, at that conference, they decided that the Mine Defense Laboratory would build a habitat. They also needed to select a location, and they had five criteria for the selection. One was the prospect of good weather. Two was good underwater visibility. Three was a level bottom. Four was moderate water temperatures at depth. And five was the general features of oceanographic and marine biological interest. Now, the site that they selected was Argus Island off of Bermuda. By March of 1964, all the appropriate approvals were obtained and they were off and running. And the operations were supposed to be conducted in the summer of 1964. Now, the Mine Defense Laboratory selected an old experimental minesweeping float. Now, the report has quite a, f a few pictures and illustrations in it. Unfortunately, the pictures are really not that great because of this PDF being produced either from a microfiche or old, old uh, copiers. But the illustrations are pretty good, particularly the architectural drawings of C-Lab 1, both the plan view and the cross-section views. By, March, uh, by May 1964, C-Lab was ready for sea trials off of Panama City, Florida. And on May 22, 1964, it was towed out to sea and sank uncontrolled and flooded over half full of seawater. Fortunately, there were no injuries. The habitat was lifted, towed back, dried out, and ready for another try on May 26, this time with success. The previous incident was attributed to a misunderstanding of line handling orders. By July, they were in Bermuda and ready to sink Sea Lab on July 14th. They again had issues because of the three to five foot swells and the yard patrol boat that they were using just wasn't powerful enough. Like Chief Brody said in Jaws, I think you're going to need a bigger boat. Well, in this case, it was a, a crane that they took from Bermuda. The, re the report details the adventure of getting Sea Lab on the bottom. But they finally did, and after getting everything hooked up and a 24-hour checkout, on Monday, July 20th, 1964, at 1735, that's 5.35 p.m. for all you civilians, C-Lab 1 was manned by Robert E. Les or Robert e. Anderson, Robert A. Barth, Sanders W. Manning, and Robert E. Thompson. Now, what were the conditions like on C-Lab? Interesting. The report says, C-Lab proper, 
dry and habitable. Atmosphere, satisfactory. Temperature, 78 degrees, chilly. Water supply, water not available. Heaters, operable. TV monitor, not hooked up properly. Hot water heaters, not operating. Refrigerator, not operating. CO2 scrubbers, satisfactory. Electro writer, satisfactory. Calibrated microphones, not functioning. Krasberg O2 meters, satisfactory. Lights, satisfactory. So you can see there were still a lot of things that needed to be repaired. So first thing they had to do was fix everything that wasn't working and then complete their mission. So in part two of this series, I'll take you through the mission, the findings, and the conclusions from Project Sea Lab Summary Report of 1965, America's first journey into inner space. And that will be next time here on Scuba Shack Radio. Well, the more I read about Sea Lab, the more fascinating the story becomes for me. Could you envision yourself living at 193 feet for 11 days? Now that brings a whole new meaning to shelter in place. Well, that wraps up today's show. And again, thanks for tuning in. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another episode of Scuba Shack Radio. Until then, have a happy St. Patrick's Day and take care, everyone. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time. <laughs>